Praise God this morning already. Have you been blessed? Uh, the, the song service, uh, prayers that we've had, is it pointing your heart to God? That's really what we want to get at today. And I know I have been already uh, just blessed um, by what we've heard and what God has challenged our heart with already. We're going to continue that as we turn to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 is where we're going to start. And as I mentioned just a little bit ago, today we start a new sermon series. And the new sermon series that uh, I've titled it is Essentials of a Thriving Church. Let me get it up there for you. Essentials of a Thriving Church. Now before we get to our text, let me ask you a question. If someone came to you and they asked, what do you look for in a church? What would be the things that initially came to your mind? You know, maybe you've had to deal with this. And as, as growing up or as adults, we all have to face this question at some point or another. Maybe we move to a different town. Uh, maybe something happens and we're looking for a church. And the question that comes to our mind automatically in that scenario is, well, what's important in a church? And for many of us, our minds go to a lot of different places. Some would say, well, I would love to have people in my own age, age group, people that are going through the same life situations as me that I can talk to and be with. That's important for me. Uh, at times, our mind would go to, well, I, I hope uh, and I would want the church that we have to have kids' ministries because I've got kids and I want them to be challenged in specific ways and I want them to have friends and uh, people that they can be with. You know, our minds can go in all different directions. One of the things might be, well, I, it has to have a specific type of music. Music is really what I, uh, I use to worship and, and speak to my heart. Now, all of these type of things, they're not bad to consider. They're not bad to evaluate and to, in personal preference, choose at times a church that will help in those scenarios. But those type of things cannot be the main focus of any church. You know, the main focus that we're going to talk today that's really going to kick off our series on the essentials of a thriving church is the idea of being under God's Word. God's Word being the foundation for everything we think and do in our worship. If we don't stand under God's Word, our church is really going to hurt. And it's not going to accomplish the things that God has called the church to do. It's not going to glorify him. It's not going to follow his guiding and direction that we find throughout Scripture because it's not going to have God's word at the top of the pyramid of what's the most important things, the essentials for a church. So why this series? Why this series on an essential, uh, the essential parts of a church? A couple different reasons. One, I want you to be confident in our church. I want you to know that we see the different parts of a God-centered church, God-focused church. And I want you to be confident to say, I know our church is not perfect, like no church is perfect, but we're trying to grow in the areas that God's called a healthy church to grow in. We're trying to be that church for the people here, help them challenge them and grow in their Christian walk and get the message of the gospel out. I want you to be confident in the church that we have. What we're doing and why we're doing it is for God and his glory. Another reason for this series, I want you to have helpful knowledge for future decisions about church life. Let me say that again. I want you to have helpful knowledge for future decisions about church life. I know how life goes, situations, jobs move you to a different place, and you're going to be faced with that question, well, what church do I go to? How do I determine what a good church is? I want you to have been taught and thought through what Scripture says to say, what is important in a church that I'm looking for? Lastly, I want you to be able to teach those around you the essentials of a thriving, healthy church. I want you to be able to teach those around you. And for a lot of that, that means teaching our kids from a young age up what a healthy church looks like. Because there's going to become a, there's going to become a point where your kids get out from among you, they're going to move to a different spot, and they're going to look for a church that's going to challenge their heart and teach them about God. And you know what they're going to decide on which church to go to is, is a lot of what you have helped them understand about the church, the purpose, the important things of it. And so I want you to be able to teach your kids to say, no, uh, those things are good for you to consider, but the most important things are these. These are the essentials. 
And that's what we're going to be focusing on for the next six to eight weeks as we talk about this topic of the essentials of a thriving church. And as I mentioned already, the number one essential that we're going to talk about today is uncovering God's truth. Uncovering God's truth. What's the first essential that we have to get to is uncovering God's truth. I had Dan, uh, Pastor Dan read for us this morning, Ezekiel 37, 1-14. That gave us a, a perfect illustration and picture of what God did with his prophets in the Old Testament. He gave them words and messages to speak about who he was and about their purpose for people, specifically in that text, for the people of Israel. And as he spoke those, the illustration that we get is that those bones, those dry, weak, dead bones, they came to life, right? God breathed into them and they came to life. It's a perfect example for us of what happens when we put God's word into action. When we come and we listen to God's word being taught to us, not just uh, with deaf ears, but we do it with our heart that wants to please God and to take into to us what's being said and put into practice in our life, guess what happens? God breathes into us a new life. First, with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we're made new and part of his family. But as we continually, week in week, come back and we are challenged by God's word, we're challenged to grow in new ways, to consider our sins in different ways, and to repent of those, and to become more like Jesus perfect example it was the Ezekiel 37. Dry bones, he made alive. That's what we do as we gather under God's word. We, we, we recognize our dry bones and we recognize we need life and that life comes from God's word, teaching us uh, what we need to know and where we need to grow. Let's turn to that 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. We just finished going through the book of 1 Timothy and one of the passages is this 13, or verses 14 and 15. It says this, Timothy, uh, excuse me, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he gives a description of that church, and he says, because that church, the church of the living God, is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church and household of God is God's gathered people. In a sense, in the New Testament, we find local churches, local gatherings coming together, joining together for those purposes of glorifying God and what he calls us to do. And this, uh, Paul says, the church is the household of God, and it's uh, the church of the living God. He's not dead. He's live and active, and he wants us to know his word and to grow in his ways. And he says, here's what else about the church. It's a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's a couple funny words, maybe the buttress you, you don't understand, but the pillars we get, we get that imagery. A pillar is not made to stand alone by itself. A pillar is put there to hold something else up, to give structure to something that is heavy and important. That's what the church is about when we think about God's word and his truth. Our purpose as a church is to hold that up for the, the community and the world around us to see. It's to hold that, that truth up for our own personal growth and sanctification, that it's to hold the truth of God's word up. If we're not, as a church, holding up the truth of God's word, we are failing. We will not thrive. We might, we, and I think we have to also understand this idea of thriving. Sometimes we hear, well, a church that's thriving. Well, what does that mean? And we, we automatically think, well, it means they've probably got a lot of people. Their church is filled every Sunday. That's not what we're talking about with thriving as we go through this series. A thriving church is a church that is growing and accomplishing and doing the things God has called that church to do. Yes, we want people to come in and fill our seats. We're not talking about turning those people away. And we want God to bring them in, but for the purpose of challenging them with God's word. For the purpose of holding up the truth not suppressing it, not giving them any other type of worldly knowledge or, or nice anecdotes that we can have when a preacher is preaching. None of that. We want them to be challenged by God's word so they can grow in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what our main purpose is as a, as a church. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So today, for our proposition, I would say this, for a church to thrive it must be committed to God's word. 
For a church to thrive, uh, or a thriving church must be committed to God's word. As Minnesota fans, we know what it means to baby be a fair weather fan, don't we? Uh, it means when our teams are good, a lot of times it's very easy for us to jump on and want them to do well. We maybe tune in and watch them a little bit more, but maybe we always do it with a foot out the door, knowing uh, things could turn in any second, right? Um, because that team that you love, you just can't put your full confidence behind yet. Well, hopefully this is not the way that you look to Scripture. We don't pick and choose when we want to hear God's Word. We don't look to only the passages that we think are going to challenge us. We want to take it all in. And we recognize it's all God's Word that is good for our sanctification and growth in His Word. For a church to thrive, it must be committed to God's Word. That means the teaching and preaching that we find in God's uh, church must be coming from God's Word. You know, if we go and we visit a church or we're, we're contemplating, is this a, a place that I would go or want my kids to go? Hopefully the first thing on your mind is, do you find what's coming out of the pastors, the teachers? Is that information and that teaching coming from God's Word? Is it coming from God's Word? For a church to thrive, it must be committed to God's Word. And today I want to take our time, go through three different reasons why we must be committed to God's Word as a church that is thriving. First reason, reason number one, Scripture is God's Word to humanity. Scripture is God's Word to humanity. Can you remember that first time that you got a love letter from your wife? You know, we've heard pastors, preachers use this idea uh, in the past. But we can remember that first time you got, well, I say letter, but let's, let's be honest. Uh, I'm, we're all getting older, and it's probably the first email that you got or the first text that you got from your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, and how excited you were about that, and how you kept going back to that time and time again to see exactly what it was, say, was said to you. And as you responded back, you got those correlations, and your heart took joy in the love that you had for that individual. Hopefully, as we look at Scripture, that's, that's the, the motivation of our heart, is to come into contact with the, the God who created us, the God who saved us, and we have a love in our heart for him that wants to, to see his word because through his word, we see him and we grow in relationship to him. Scripture is God's word to humanity. You know what that means? It's that it's not Pastor Jim's words that develop a relationship between you and God. It's not Pastor Dan's words. It's not anything we can get from the world that's going to, to give you that relationship. It's God's word that we put into our life that we grow in relationship with him. Turn over to Hebrews 1, 1 through 14. And for this series, you'll see us, we're going to bounce around to different texts. Now, this is, this is a, a topical series, we would say. And it's, it's a way for us to address a topic this morning as to the importance of God's Word, um, but it's also a way for us uh, to see specifically what God's teaching us about these topics. Now, as we do topical, we, we're going to talk about this a little bit and what, what expository preaching looks like as compared to topical, but we're going to be bouncing, so make sure you have a Bible with you. If, there's a Bible in, if you don't have one, there's a Bible in front. Make sure you follow along. I want you to see these texts as we address them. Reason number one, that we need to keep God's word front and center. Scripture is God's word to humanity. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is most excellent than theirs. I want to start with this passage talking about God's word. It's obviously uh, the author of Hebrews challenging those. It's important in where we get God's word. He starts and says, look at from time past, we know that God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
He's pointing back to Old Testament, and he's remembering the way that God spoke through the prophets to us to give his message. And even back in the Old Testament times, through the prophets, we still had given to Moses the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and then all the commandments that were given to to Israel. We were given specific ways and instructions as to where life came from, as to what our purpose is in God, and it was written down and it was spoken to us through the prophets. God spoke to us in the word. And then he goes from pointing back to the prophets, look at in verse 2, and it says, And in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Who is his Son? Of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Previously, the prophets were pointing forward to when this Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to come. But we're living in the last times. This is the time where Jesus has come. He's done his work on the cross for salvation for those who believe in him. And now we look forward to his return to to bring us all to be with him. It says in these last days, he spoke through his son, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the word of God. Yes, we're talking about God's word, the Bible. But the Bible is a message about the word. It was already mentioned this morning in prayer that Jesus Christ is the Word. John 1, 1 1-4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is the Word that we're talking about that needs to be essential? It's God's Word, but God's Word, the Bible, is a message of Jesus Christ. From the prophets to to the New Testament to looking forward to the future, it is all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the Word, and that's what we hold up as a church. That's what we should love as Christians, followers of Christ, is the Word, Jesus Christ himself. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter. Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. Remembering that Scripture is God's word to humanity and that the message was about Jesus Christ. And as we get to the New Testament, we have that transition point where Jesus died for our sins, yours and mine. And then as he went away back into heaven, um, he left the apostles there to start the church and he gave them the message that he wanted them to study, to prepare, to preach, to give to the people around us. 2 Peter 1.16 says this, For we did not follow clever devices, myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is Peter talking, of course. He's eyewitness. He's with Jesus the whole time. Verse 17, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now look at verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried away by the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Word of God, and we talk about preachers and churches that are giving the Word of God, that are standing under the Word of God. They're not coming up with their own prophecy. They're not coming up with their own interpretation. They're not coming up with something new and exciting that will get people's attention and fill the seats in, in their, their auditorium. That's not their purpose. Their purpose is to see the prophecy that was given by God in his word and to preach and teach that to the people that are listening to them. That's our purpose here at Faith Baptist Church. We want to do the best that we can. I know every preacher wants to do the best he can to keep the attention and and, uh, give application that challenges people. But if what he is saying and what we are saying is not supported by what Scripture is saying, the church is failing. The pastor is failing. 
It's important for us to to recognize and see that so that you as hearers, as you're listening to a message, you're saying those type of things. Can I see what he's saying from the text? You know, what is it that he is saying and can can I support that with what he is showing me from the text? Peter knew it and he said, I've got nothing of myself that I can give to you that hasn't been given from God. The prophecy that I give, the teaching that I give, it's from God. And the only way that we do that is to support it by Scripture. Support it by Scripture. That is our foundation. We need to keep coming back to that. Teach that to your families. Teach that to your own heart. Scripture is what gives us that connection and growth with God. And here's an important aspect of that idea. Without God speaking, we could not know him or his salvation through Jesus Christ. Without God giving us the message that he gave us, we would be lost. We wouldn't know where to turn. Just reminds me of going back to all the different gods throughout history that have been proposed by people groups, and they do not compare with the descriptions of the God of the Bible. And the reason is, because if we were left to ourselves, the only God that we could come up with and create is a flawed God just like you and me. And so you think about those gods. They were failures. They were selfish. They were all kinds of things. But the God of the Bible is holy and just and loving. And he, we see it through the specific actions that he did and gave to us through Jesus Christ. He showed his love to us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. Without God speaking, we wouldn't be able to know him. How much do we praise him for that? God, thank you for giving us your word to help us convict us of sin, know where we, our failures are, and, and telling us about your Savior, the plan of salvation through him. Another idea connected with this is that churches can be built around all types of other things, but when we do and we build them around those other things, we're not a healthy and thriving church. We're not doing what God calls us to do. At Faith Baptist Church, we want to build our church on God's word, God's principles. A healthy, thriving church can be committed to teaching and should be committed to teaching and preaching God's word. This brings us to our second reason. Uh, Reason number one, Scripture is God's word to humanity. Reason number two, Scripture was given to teach us about ourselves, about God, and about salvation. Scripture was given to teach us about ourselves, about God, and about salvation. Turn over to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. We'll get there in just a minute. One object that most of us use every single day is a mirror, right? We get up, we want to make sure we can fix ourselves up as best we can, fix our hair, brush our teeth, make sure there's no toothpaste on our face. We use the mirror to tell us what we look like, and then to make ourselves more presentable, right? Well, in James, we're not going to turn there, he uses the same understanding of what God's word is to us. God's word is a mirror to help us understand where our failures are and our sins are, and then where we need to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. He uses the idea of that mirror. Scripture was given to us for this specific reason, to teach us about who we are, our sins, Um, and the things that please God. Ourselves, to teach us about God, his holy character, who he is, how he cared for us, and about salvation, his his saving work through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This tells us, the purpose, and the, the, the great power that his word has on the lives of those who hear his message. It says that it's living and active. It's talking about the word of God and the word of God that is God's message about Jesus Christ given to us in written form through the prophets and apostles that we listen to and we study. Those are given to us. What does it say about it? It's living and active. It means that it's not dead. You know, we we correlate that between something that's living and dead. A living object or person can move, can think, can do things to help other people. That's what he's talking about, about his word. God's word is living and active. It is not dead. 
That also means that it's relevant for today. It's living and active. It's something that helps to teach us what we need to be taught about God and about ourselves. His word is living and active. What else we find is that it means God's word is effective. It's effective. Many would turn to other things that they think are more effective to help us in life. Some people struggling or dealing with situations or sins or grief will try to turn to anything to help them in those situations. And if we're not turning to God, we're not going to get the right type of help, the right type of advice. We might turn to uh, the advice of a good friend and a well-meaning friend. But if that advice is not saturated with God's word and has the foundation of God's word, unfortunately, many times, that advice will fall flat and will not give hope and will not point to God, the one who's in control. Good advice from a friend is good as long as it's pointing us to Scripture and to God's Word. Many of us might turn to the world's knowledge or world's wisdom. I think about psychology and psychiatry. And in the last 40 years, it just having an explosion of effect on people's lives. That people who are struggling and hurting, they turn to doctors that will diagnose them with specific things, give them medications in certain ways for reasons of just making the symptoms go away without a lot of times realizing that those symptoms are pointing to something deeper in them that needs to be addressed. They're addressed, that needs to be addressed toward their sin or that, you know, focusing too much on something you love in this life and replacing God with that thing that you love And then at many times, getting it or not getting it will cause certain emotions in your life. We cannot explain away, diagnose away those type of things that just have have a deep-seated issue of turning away from God. Now, I'm not saying that uh, all medicine and all of that stuff should all be turned away from, but I think we have to be very careful where we turn to get our help. Is it the world's knowledge? Is it the world's wisdom? Or do we ask, where, God, can I, can I look in your word to help me think rightly about myself and about you? God, where, where can I look and where can I put into my life certain practices that, that help me to focus on you and not on this world? Those are type of questions that we need to be asking when our heart is showing us that we're, we're, we're too far deep in something that we cannot get out of ourselves. We need to turn to God's word. We can do that in many different ways. You come to Pastor Dan or myself, and we'll, well, we would love to sit down with you and look at Scripture with you. We don't have all the perfect answers, but we know the place that does have all the perfect answers. And with you and I to sit down together, we would love to, to evaluate and to try to help put a plan in practice for you to put the right things into your life. That's what's going to help you grow. We want to be a church that puts Scripture on that pedestal, that post, because we know that it teaches us those things. Look in verse Hebrews 12 again, the word of God, living active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, the last thing it tells us in that verse that Scripture can do for us, it can discern the deepest intentions of your heart. And I would say not just discern, but it can help shape your desires into what God wants them to be. It discerns where they're at right now, and it gives us instruction as to how to change those as to to what God wants them to be. It helps us to grow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of men. Reasons why we should put God's word first. Scripture is God's word of humanity. Number two, Scripture was given to teach us about ourselves, about God, and about salvation. That brings us to our third reason for today. Scripture was given to guide God's church. Scripture was given to guide God's church. Imagine with me for a minute that you woke up in the middle of the wilderness. Okay, You've got no explanation as to why you're in this wilderness. There's difficulty around you, maybe forests, trees, animals that might kill you. You wake up and you start looking around and you're not sure why you're there, but As you check what's on you, you find out that whoever left you there gave you a map. And that map leads you to salvation. 
or to a saving part of where you want to go. You look at that map for a minute and you think, oh, well, this is great. At least I know where I can go to have be saved from this wilderness. And as you put that, you fold that back up, you put it in your pocket, and you decide, I, I don't think I need that map. I'm pretty good at figuring out where I need to go. I put that map in my pocket and I just start to wander around. Uh, and I wander into dangerous areas. I wander into where there, there, there might be something that's going to kill me or an animal that might be there. And to us, that sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds like, what, what? We wouldn't do that? If we knew something was going to help us and be there to help us, we'd want to continue to look at that. Well, let's take this illustration even a minute or a little bit further. As you wander around, you find that there are multiple people that are there in the wilderness with you that have that same thing that happened to them. They are there. They don't know why they're there. And they're trying to figure out where to go. And one of them speaks up and says, hey, does anybody have something that would help us? And you look around and you say, hey, I've got a map. And as you say, I've got a map, they say, oh, great, we can follow that. And as you turn to lead them, you put that map back in your pocket. And you don't use the map to, to, to guide and direct that group. This sounds ridiculous to us. It's unfortunate that many churches that claim the name of Jesus Christ, that claim they want to follow and have God's word as their guide, they fold it up, they put God's word in their pocket, and they say to themselves as a preacher, I have the words of wisdom. I have what you need. Follow me as a leader. That's not what we want at Faith Baptist Church. That's not what you want to find as you look for churches in the future. That's not what you want your kids to look for as someone who's just exciting and someone that will teach them fun things or keep their attention in that way. No, you want, you want a preacher, a church, that's going to point them to God's word and challenge them with God's word. Let's turn over to Acts 6, 1 to 5. Acts 6, 1 to 5. We're dealing with the apostles here. Jesus Christ himself has risen into heaven and left the apostles to start the church. And what we find in Acts chapter 6 is one situation in the church that is causing some of the pastors to have to use their time and energy not to study the word, not to pray for God, but to minister uh, physically to other people. And really, they're, they're helping to have this ministry of handing out food and different taking care of widows. And so we find this interaction that's happening here. But let's see where the apostles put the emphasis on their ministry. We're going to find it in verse 3. But let's start at verse 1, Acts 6, 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of their disciples and said, so these are the twelve apostles, they summoned the church together, and they said this, verse 2, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Tim, Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. What did we hear from the apostles here? They didn't say it's not bad. They didn't say it's a bad thing to have specific ministries to help people. They didn't say that. But what they did say is the word of God is too important for us to neglect. That we as a church family, that we are over to help guide and direct we as leaders need to be in God's word, teaching God's word, so that we can affect those who come in with God's word. If we step away from that as a church and as leaders, we're doing the wrong thing. Our church is not going to be healthy. Our church is not going to thrive in a godly way. We need to stand in, on God's word. They say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It says, we will devote ourselves Devote is a very important word in this context. He's saying, I'm going to spend my time and energy in prayer. 
I, I'm not going to have it as a, a secondary thing that I'll, I'll, I'll do if I can get to. If all these other ministries take me away from that, then that's okay. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, my first initial responsibility is prayer and the word. Prayer and ministry of the word. Because he recognizes that God's message about Jesus Christ is found in his word to us. If we turn away from that, we're turning away from God's message. And then it becomes whatever any church wants it to be. It's not God's word. It's not God's church. We devote ourselves to the prayer and ministry of the word. Turn over to Romans 10, 14 through through 17. Romans 10, 14. says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, uh, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has heard, uh, or who has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. It is important for us to be teaching the word of God because that's what's affecting people's lives. God using his message through imperfect pastors and preachers, but he's using it with his Holy Spirit in the ears of the listeners so that he can challenge us, so that he can affect our hearts, call out sin, and call us to grow in him. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. When I was in college, I remember... One week, we had a special speaker. I was at a Christian college, and we had a special evangelist come. And I was young, and I was immature, even in my thinking, as to how to evaluate speakers. And as he came through, he was there for a week, and this guy was exciting. He was from the South. He was fast-talking. He had stories that were just unbelievable. And I thought, man, he is incredible. I I could listen to him all the time. And as I talked uh, to my dad about this specific speaker uh, later on the next week, I said, he is, it's really great. You know, I, I just, my mind was really engaged the whole time. And my dad proceeded to ask me some specific questions that helped guide and direct me in, in how I evaluate a speaker. Those questions be like, okay, well, what did, he, what did he teach on? What did he preach on? What text was he in? And I started to understand, okay, it's not... It's not so much about how exciting this preacher is. Is he preaching what God's word says? Is he challenging me with God's word? And is what he's challenging me with, can it be supported by what scripture he's using to say it? Those are all important things. And I think it's, it's a, this is an important concept for us to recognize because we can easily be drawn away by someone who is charismatic and someone who is exciting to listen to. Uh, we've even had it since I've been here where I've, I've heard a, pre- uh, a preacher and then I, or someone has come up to me and said, hey, have you ever listened to this guy or listened to that guy? And I had to warn them to be careful because we can be drawn away by people who are exciting. But the, pa- the, the, the thing we have to keep front and center is, is what the pastor, the preacher, the teacher is teaching, is it being driven by what the text of Scripture is that he's, he's talking to us about? All of those things are important. It's the most important. So, let's look at a couple important aspects of expository preaching. One idea that we talk about here is expository preaching. This is, what we, uh, we, this is the way that we teach and preach at Faith Baptist Church. We do it expositorily. Okay? It might be a big word you've maybe never heard before. That means that our goal as a pastor, preacher, teacher here is to expose what is in the text. We find ourselves like an archaeologist who understands there is something to be found and we try to dig that out and then show it and share it with those who are with us here at the church. It is not our job to put something in the ground and say that that something is new and better than what we know God's word gives us. We expose what the text of scripture tells to us. We do this through all of our studies. When we talk about expository preaching, it is normally driven by a verse-by-verse, section-by-section study of Scripture. We do this. If you've been here with us, you know that's our normal process of things. 
We're starting a study on the book of Acts. We're starting a study on 1 Thessalonians. Last year, we could look back to, we finished up the Gospel of Mark. We went through the book, the book of 1 Timothy. And we go verse by verse, section by section, because it helps us to know what to teach, where to teach, and to see God's full message to us. A lot of times as a, as a pastor, the passages that I would want to pick and choose are that I wouldn't want to preach, let's say that, I would stay away from unless I'm trying to preach the full counsel of God. It's very important to be a church that is normally in the normal process of things, expositorily working through the text. Okay? There is a place for, at times, topical messages, which that's what we're going through now is a sermon series where six to eight weeks we're dealing with a topic. We also deal with the, the passages in an expository way that we understand what's going on in each of those texts so that we try to understand the passage better. So what are some of those important aspects of expository preaching? Well, first of all, the genre of a passage. You know, the way that we look at the, the Psalms and poetry uh, writing of Scripture is different than the way that we would interpretate a narrative passage or prophecy. So it's important to know what genre we're studying, what genre a passage or a verse comes from. It's important to see also the context of the passage. What is going around, what is happening around the specific verse or section of study so that we can see it, it's an entirety. We also have to understand the intended audience. A lot of times we can hear a verse, it sounds good in our ear, but when we look at the intended audience, maybe that's not us. Maybe that's not a promise to me and to you, but to a different group of people. We also have to understand the correct application from the text. The application has to come from all of the things that we understand about the text, what's going on in it. Now, why do I teach you this? It's not because I want you to sit through a seminary class. It's because I want you to know why we study, why we do the things that we do in the church, and that that is important because we're trying to get to the correct and right truth that God gives us in his word. You know, Pastor Jim isn't trying to just conjure up some sort of good uh, message that you can hear and, be, and, and enjoy. I'm trying to understand what God's message is so that I can give it to you and we as a church can grow in that message, in, in God's message, not, not uh, some personal person's uh, message. So those are the important aspects. And sometimes we uh, have seen these mis misused, misinterpreted. I want to give you a couple examples as to how misinterpretation can look and take place. One, one verse, uh, let's see here. One verse is Psalm 37.4. It says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We can take this out of context and in the wrong way if we just focus on the second section of the verse, right? It says, I will give you the desires of your heart. And we can think, well, that's awesome. I'm going to sign up to serve this God. I mean, Jesus, I can, I can say I, I'm, I'm a, he's my Savior if he's going to give me my own personal desires and get everything that I want from him. But we have to see it in its entirety. The context, right? Look at the first verse, or first part of that. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? That means turn to God, understand your purpose in life through what he says you're, you're here to do and to be, that's how we delight ourselves in the Lord, find our joy in him. And then it says, the, the, the conclusion of that, then I'll give you the desires of your heart. What is that passage really saying? Is that when we love God and want to serve him and please him, God is going to help us do that. He's going to give you your desires because your desires are to please him and to serve him. He's going to give you those. You see how we can misuse a passage? And, and people, we got to be very careful about that. Another familiar one to us would be Jeremiah 29.11. Maybe you've uh, read this yourself. Maybe you've put it on a pillow. You've seen it at Hobby Lobby. Okay? It says, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. A lot of times this can be misused and say, well, this is a, a promise specifically for you as a Christian given directly to you. If we look at the, the, the larger context, what we find is that this is a promise given to the people of Israel, the people group of Israel. 
And it is at a time where they are in captivity and God is promising that he has a plan and purpose for them for his own glory. It's not for any one individual. It's for a people group. Yes, can we use this? Can we look at this? And we can say, man, this shows me God's character, his love for his people. Yes, we can, and it should. And we're part of that as we're grafted in with the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, we are part of that. But it's not a specific promise to you that God has this plan that is your plan and that he's just automatically going to give to you something that's good. Another one we use a lot of times is, or here, is Matthew 7, verse 1. Very short and simple to the point. Judge not that you be not judged. And someone that, uh, you know, feels like they're being judged will use this, hey, the Bible says don't judge. So you worry about your stuff, I'll worry about mine, we'll all be, we'll all be fine, okay? What we find in the larger context of Matthew 7, 1 to 5, is that, yes, it's talking about be not judging, but the, the bigger idea in the passage is to not be a hypocrite. It says, judge not lest you be judged. And then verse 2, I don't have it up there, but it says, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that the speck that is in your brother's eye, uh, but do not notice that the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say that your brother, to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he starts with this idea of judge not lest you be judged, but then he goes into the reason that you shouldn't be judged because don't be a hypocrite. Be a loving individual that is trying to care and come alongside of somebody. God does not tell us that we're never supposed to address another person's sin. On the contrary, he calls us as a church body to come alongside of those who are struggling, who are failing in sin, and to love them in the right way. And to love them in the right way even means sometimes to be you know, harsh, as it seems, with their sin. To call them out and say that if you keep living for your sin, it is not going to be good for you. It's going to be harmful for you. And so he, using this in the wrong way, and any verse uh, passage in the wrong way, is, is what we cannot do. We have to use uh, the smart ways to study God's word. One more passage. And this is the one that always gets me the most. Uh, this one that you see again, uh, maybe at the gym on a shirt telling you, you can, you can lift whatever you want, okay? The, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A lot of people will just try to use this to say, hey, I, I get strength from God, and I can go through this or that, or it's all about the strength God's going to give me. We see the, the broader context in Philippians 4 is not talking, Paul not talking about the, the ability that God's going to give him, it's talking about contentment that he's able to have in the midst of hardships. He's writing from a prison cell. He's sometimes had to go without food for long periods of time. He's not saying, I can have the strength that I want just by thinking it up. He's saying, through God, I can be content in Christ and my life can be fulfilled in him and only in him. That's much different than, I can do all things through Christ, whatever I want that to mean. Okay, we have to use the context, the genre, the, the, the author's intent, all of those things to understand the truth behind Scripture. So, what do you consider while listening to teaching and preaching? A couple things. First, you should ask, uh, am I asked to use my Bible? Am I asked to take God's word out, follow along with what's being taught, so that I know and I'm confident, not in the preacher, not in the pastor, but in God's word. But in God's word. Am I asked to use my Bible? Another question, is the Bible passage being taught front and center and referred to often? Is it front and center and referred to often? Too many times I've heard preachers that will use a verse and then one, one time at the beginning of a sermon then go on to just speak about whatever they would like. The purpose of an expository preacher is to explain what's happening in the text throughout that message. He's coming back time and time again so that by the end of it, you're saying, I know more about this passage. I know more about God because of what's explained in this passage. You're not saying, hey, what was that verse at the beginning of the, 
the, the, the message that we heard about? Uh, no. You recognize the message isn't coming from the pastor. It's coming from God that he's trying to give, present to you. Another question, is what the preacher teaching clearly seen in the text? The next one, is what the preacher teaching uh, helping me understand the history context, the biblical author, the audience, the purpose, and application of the text? And then last question, is what is being taught driven from the text in front of me? These are all things that as we start this series on the essentials of a church, we're challenged to say God's word has to be front and center. God's word has to be front and center. If there's anything else, whether it be a ministry, sometimes you can think of, well, I want a church that focuses on evangelism. I want a church that focuses on a specific ministry to a specific group. Those aren't bad, but if they're not driven by God's word, they're going to be failing. And they might bring in different amounts of people, but they're not healthy. They're not thriving in the sense that God wants them to be giving out God's word. So our number one uh, aspect or essential of a healthy church is to have a church that is uh, committed to teaching and preaching God's word. And personally, in a personal sense, is that what you're excited about? Are you happy to have a church that explains and is, is driven to explain God's word? Uh, take that and thank God for churches and other mature Christians who help you see um, from God's word who God is and where to grow. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for this church um, that you've given to us, and a church and people in here, we've got leaders that stand on your word that will, uh, when differences of opinion come up, we are committed to studying your word and standing on it. And so, God, we thank you for that. Help us to use it to see you. It's not just about uh, your written word, Lord. It's about you as a person and, and Jesus Christ that we're trying to understand more of. We, we thank you uh, for having, giving us this church body. In Jesus' name, amen.